Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello there and welcome to the WP Builds podcast. You've reached episode number 325, which is episode 7 in our Thinking the Unthinkable series. This episode is entitled Designing in the Browser is for Amateurs. It was published on Thursday the 4th of May 2023. My name's Nathan Wrigley and I'll be joined in a few minutes by David Wormsley, but before then a few bits of housekeeping. If you like what we produce at WP Builds, why not stay in touch? The best way to do that is to go to wpbuilds.com forward slash subscribe. Over there, you'll be able to find all of the different platforms that we produce content on. Typically, that's YouTube and also the podcast that we have on our website, but also places like Twitter. There's our Twitter handle there. And most importantly, there is our subscribe form, which you can use and we will send you a couple of emails each week. One will be for this podcast episode when we push this out and also the show that we do on Monday, This Week in WordPress, which is a live show, will also notify you about that. Speaking of live shows, there's a couple of things to tell you. Firstly, this week I kicked off with Mark Westgard a six-part webinar series all about using WS Form. We're going to be doing it on Wednesdays for the next few weeks. It's going to be completely live. And the idea is that Mark is going to show you how to get the best out of WS Form, which is probably, as you've guessed, a WordPress form plugin. It does a lot of heavy lifting and some really complicated things can be achieved through clicking, pointing, dragging, and really understanding how WS Form works. And so that's the intention. So we've had episode one, which was laying the foundations, really. And then over the next five weeks or so, Mark's going to be showing you the complexities of all of the different kinds of things that you can do. So join us for that. As well as that, you'll be delighted to know that I'm doing another Peacha Neri UI UX show. That's coming up next Tuesday. Um, if you want to submit your site, go to wpbuilds.com forward slash UI. Fill out the form there and hopefully Peacha and I will have a little natter about it. And Peacha will cast her expert eye over what it is that you're building. The best way to know about these things is to go to the wpbuilds.com homepage right below the main banner at the top. You'll find two little sections, one for Marks and one for Peaches shows, and you can find some calendar links and things over there as well. So really appreciate that. The WP Builds podcast was brought to you today by GoDaddy Pro. GoDaddy Pro, the home of managed WordPress hosting that includes free domain, SSL, and 24-7 support. Bundle that with The Hub by GoDaddy Pro to unlock more free benefits to manage multiple sites in one place, invoice clients, and get 30% off new purchases. You can find out more by going to go.me forward slash WP builds. And we do sincerely thank GoDaddy Pro for their ongoing support of the WP Builds podcast. Okay, 
What have we got for you today? Well, at the top of the show, I said it was called Designing in the Browser is for Amateurs. Well, David and I came up with this title and then we both contributed to the show notes and it turns out we both had completely different ideas as to what this meant. David thought this topic was about whether or not to use design software rather than jump straight into the page builder and start templating and amending it that way. And I thought it was about how design tools are increasingly online. So there's all sorts of different tools that you can use um, to make these designs happen. So it was an interesting chat, but the principle is is the same. Are you an amateur if you do your designs in the browser or should you have some dedicated tool? It's an interesting chat. As always, leave us some comments. Head over to wpbuilds.com, search for episode 325. I hope that you enjoy it. Hello, it's the 7th in our Thinking the Unthinkable series where we attempt to rationalise controversial views on WordPress and web design. Today's topic is designing in the browser is for amateurs. And Nathan, this is interesting because we thought this was about different things. We came up with a title and I thought it was about... Um, whether we use design software rather than jump into a page builder, which is what we've talked about before, or start amending a template. And what did you think it was about? Well, I thought you meant that everything in the browser or everything not in the browser. So I went down in my head, this yeah. version of this podcast would be all about, let's let's discuss what tools we're using, online tools. And by that, I mean in the browser and how that's changed over time. So a good example would be something like Photoshop. So 10 years ago, Photoshop really was the tool, largely I think the only tool that anybody was talking about. I know there were things like GIMP, but most people were using Photoshop for manipulating images. And over the last decade, a lot of these tools in the browser have come along. I think probably the most successful that I can think of is Canva, which I confess I don't really use, but everybody seems to be talking about it and what have you. And now it can do a a proportion of the heavy lifting that Photoshop can do. Now, obviously, I'm not saying it can do everything because I'm I'm 100% convinced it doesn't even scratch the surface of what Photoshop can do. But the point being that 10 years ago, you had to have a desktop app. Now the browsers have moved on sufficiently so that for many people, it's sufficient to do the job. So I thought we'd be talking about that, you know, audio editing tools, video editing tools, image manipulation tools, and obviously website building tools all being in the browser. And for my part, just to get this out there, I'm really wanting the day where every tool is in the browser and I discover it by going to a URL rather than opening an app on a computer. I really want that to be the paradigm. I think that's the way we're going. And we're going to discuss both in a way because there's such an overlap. I think that one is the technology changing. I think since we've got things like Node.js allowing us to kind of download online apps into our browser, that, that kind of distinction between what's software on your own personal hardware and what's online is 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 disappearing rapidly. But also I think, you know, how we might, use that software to design websites and when that's going i think it's all interlinked so we start with the uh the the graphics tool versus page builder how you start your projects bit yeah shall i Um, kick off here or or do you want to go first yeah so you go i guess i don't really do so much of this now but in the day the process for me 
was always, okay, we'll start from a blank canvas pretty much. And the, the process was I'll hire a graphic designer. So there's several locally to me whose work over years has proven to be excellent. So I typically go with them. And depending on what the budget is, I will nominate one of them in my head and say, you know, we've got a graphic designer, but not really get into who they are and what have you. Or it may be that they want a variety of different mock-ups, in which case I'll talk to two or three and get them to put things in my direction. And then I have that conversation, try to parse that conversation, put it into a document or write it down in some way, then have a telephone conversation or a meeting with the graphic designers. They threw something together and returned it to me, which I then presented to the client is in a sort of, you know, winner takes all challenge. The client <laughs> picks one, the others get dropped, but they get paid for the work that they did. And then I onboard that graphic designer into the project to iterate from that moment on. So that's how I always did it, really. Yeah, but you, because we've both on this podcast argued for the starting off in the page builder. So you've yeah. done a bit of that as well, didn't you? You've yeah, so the, that that, yeah. that kind of, that implementation dried up for me as soon as page builders came along because as soon as there was that ability to click a button and the entire page or, you know, a, a selection of rows could be mm. thrown in, it really did bring into question, in my head at least, the the worth Oh, no, that's the wrong word. I don't mean worth. The, the usefulness in some cases of a graphic designer in that project. So I'm going to be slayed for what I've just said, aren't I? But you get the point. <laughs> if the client has a limited budget and the, the idea of paying a graphic designer X amount of pounds was yeah. the difference between me winning the project or not, then demonstrating that a lot of this could be done with templates was a complete win. You know, I yeah. could win the project. I could cut down the design time. They were happy with some kind of templated design. So I began to do that more and more. And it got to the point where more or less everything was done in that way. Because as soon as I sat down with a client and showed them something like Beaver Builder and yeah. said, look, and look, here's a bunch of pre-made things and you can click that and it'll drop in. You could see the penny was dropping. Oh, okay, right, right, okay, I can use that kind of... Yeah, you just start editing it over here, and it was so obvious. So I very much moved away from that graphic yeah. design, but that is based upon the fact that my projects were always local and the budgets were always pretty modest. What about yeah, you? Yeah, but I think, you know, what you've just described also I think has a bit of historical content to it. So uh, I think, you know, from the early days of the web, really most people just saw the brochure site and it was about how it looked in a brochure. So the client was, yeah, and most still are in that stage where they, you know, the website is only what they see and it needs to be decorative. So the designer would have to be right in the beginning doing something like go, oh yeah, that's really pretty, now go and build it. And that made sense. But as we've moved on, a couple of things have happened. One is that we've realized that actually a simple website it's more of a, a user app which works on mobiles and mobiles are also responsive so it needs to look different on different devices anyway right so we slim down that I, I think you know suddenly you start to think well i could do this in the page builder because one it needs to be a simpler app for people to use to achieve their tasks because that's what we've learned about how the web works they don't sit there looking at the design like they're going to an art gallery they use the website to get jobs done so it needs to be simple and 
And for that point of view, it just makes sense, doesn't it, to go to the page builder first because uh, not you're not repeating yourself, so there's time and money in that. Uh, you're not having to spend too much on design that may not have a massive impact on you know what's likely to come in from the business. You know there might be better time spent on the SEO and the content that's there, the actual copy. And for that point of view, I think, you know, and being able to see the responsiveness and being able to demonstrate it and interact with it immediately, which yeah. you can't with the graphics, sort of made sense. It's the it's the interaction for me, which was yeah. the, the, the crucial bit. It was that they could literally click publish and then immediately see the results of that and and you know okay so we've changed the hover state on this button from red to blue let's go see what that's like whereas in previous iterations that would have been a whole round of email yeah. probably and yeah. then another version of an image you know i'd get an image back saying okay this is now what the hover state will look like well that's you know that's great it totally works but it's from a different era really isn't it now if yeah. i can do that in the browser and the, the client can see it in real time you know you probably had those conversations where the client sends you an email in the expectation that you're going to get back to them in a week but they are something so paltry that you yeah. just think i'll do it right now and you email back within like a minute and say okay that's done and then they go whoa okay that's great and that that was that's just so powerful yeah. Do you know, one of the other things about having a design, uh, because people have designed for me and then I've made them up. And one of the, the nice things, particularly if you've got a page builder yourself, that's got a set of icons that go with it. You know, if you send it off to a designer, they'll they'll come up with their own set. And suddenly, yes, you're, you're faced with this quite trivial. It seems trivial, but it's a big job sometimes to swap out a whole icon set in a page builder or something for the ones that they've used when if they'd already known what you were using in the first place, they could have just designed it around what already was there to save time. I actually had the exact reverse of that just the other day. I had okay. a client that I was dealing with and they have an existing website and they wanted me to build a I won't bore you, but essentially they sent me the wrong icons <laughs> and I had to take them off their current website and say, can we just use these? Because they're, they're the ones you actually want, aren't they? And they kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. so it works in reverse. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway, for all that, I've just put, that was our old argument for Page Builder, but I've done a, a complete turnaround where I've gone for, for the first time really using with clients Figma as the starting point for my designs rather than going into the page builder. To tell I think we probably should pause and say what Figma is. Yes, we probably should. Well, it's kind of Figma, Stencil, Adobe, XD. They're all the kind of new wave of, if you like, Photoshop's ways of being able to mock up your designs. And, and they're, all of those are, are geared at responsive apps for the web aren't they so you do figma as a desktop app or is figma done inside the browser yeah well we've moved on to the last part of our conversation which is is there any difference any longer um because yeah a tool like figma you go to it it's online it kind of works like any program that you might have offline uh, allows you to lay out things uh, little vector squares, be able to design them, use a Bezier tool, change all your colors, add in photos and position them. 
it's kind of like working on a, a, what we would traditionally expect to be just our uh, desktop software. Right. But it, it's neither one or the other, is it really? Because you can actually download the program and work locally and connect up to their cloud service as well. And I think most of the work you're doing in the browser is with that new technology, JavaScript technology, where you can achieve much more dynamically within the browser itself. Right. But okay, that aside, getting back to it, you've you've moved away yes, from yeah. the the let's use the page builder as the templating tool, if you like, and you've moved on to okay, I can get a superior result from this third party thing. So then you've got an explanation. You've got a, a another job in your suite of things that you've got to achieve. You've got to show that Figma design. How, how do you? What's going on yeah. there? Do you build it in Figma to your satisfaction and then demonstrate it and hope for the aha moment? Or, do you, well, how does that work? What's shifted here is the moving to the agile, the idea that the client gets involved in all the decisions and we go through it logically. I think everybody's been trying to do that from day one when you had graphical tools. We were talking about wireframes where you try and stop people thinking about the color because we want to focus on the structure so you remove all that but it's very boring and people disengage from it so how i've used figma now is that i want to get back to how the content is going onto the page what's important what's going to be on that home page is it going to contain the big selling point of theirs where's it going to put in the benefits where's it going to put in the social proof so i wanted to have that discussion with the client while we build the copy together, but also give them something visual. And suddenly I realized that I couldn't do this in the same way I'd just been able to work with a client in the page builder, how I did it before, because I would set up something. And even though it would be quick to move things around, um, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do what I did with them where I put a whole load of chunks, partly styled. So they got some visuals of content and we could rejig them around, but also I could duplicate a, a home page that I'd made multiple times and changed the colors while they were there on it. And they could compare the color that we changed to the last color that we had. So if, if I to try and do that in the page builder and they were saying, mm, yeah, but I like the old one. Can you go back? I'd have to redo it where there I can have a conversation live and rejig all this content around on this big canvas, if you like, and show a mobile version of it as well. Yeah. So in Figma, do you get essentially the bit that you show to the client, what does that look like? Does it almost look like they're interacting with a website, albeit only, you know, a graphic version of the website? Or does it does it have, in the version that they get to see, do they have the sort of, you know, mobile toggle and some of the settings that you may have as well? How does it, how does the client view it? Ah, sorry, actually, I didn't set the context here. So the only way I've used it so far, I don't send them to a link of what I've done there. I've waited until there's a conversation and we're going to have a, let's decide how stuff are going to look on this homepage. Let's start with that. And that's what they're coming for the meeting. So I bring it up on screen share and I move it all around. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and what's been nice about that is that I can visually, as they're telling me, oh yeah, show me that. Do you think that brown could be 
uh, blue instead. And we're going, okay, well, let's just shift that around. And I do a copy of it. And I realized that working with this, where we're just trying to, let's see if we can nail down the color scheme here. And right. Let's see if we can nail down the positioning of stuff. And they know what's going on, but I can manipulate it in a way I couldn't do with a page builder. After we've got to a certain point, then I'm happy to share a link with them. But I could, and this is the interesting thing, I think, about the new set of tools like Figma and Adobe XD is that yeah, I think they right, are yeah. yeah, they are designed, aren't they, to have and I haven't got into it, components are a part of Figma where you can say set up your hover states if you like, so someone can interact with it as you would do. But in all honesty, I I don't think I'll ever go down that path. Right. Um, you just want to show them what the what it will look like without the interaction and just get that get that bit approved first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's wireframing with a little bit more visual. Right. In a quicker way. And and I think that's why I, so suddenly I've I've about turned on my build everything in the page builder and not repeat myself to actually because I'm now more manually coding. Actually, I'm stuck because unlike the page builders where I drag things visually onto a page, I have to sit there and think how I might code it. Yes, so I need yeah. I need the visual now. So I was going to say, so if the client's watching that, I was going to make the point that, well, what's the difference between them watching that and watching you use a page builder and change the settings over there? You know, you've got things like global colors and all of yeah. these kind of things. So, that you know, changing the color globally is possible. Um, and they can they could watch you fiddle with Beaver Builder, Elementor, et al. But you, there's more control inside of Figma, is there? Or is it just that it because you're intending to build things with your own theme and start from the ground up and work with the code that that's a better bet? Mm. Well, I, I I think I've needed it now because as I'm going to be doing more coding and working directly with that, it's almost impossible for me to be in two minds at the same time, you know, to be in the designing something and coding it at the same time, because that's kind of two parts of the brain, aren't they working? So you almost need to design it and then start coding it. So yeah. partly the, the switch is forced on me, but I honestly like the collaboration element of it in a way that I couldn't do that with a page builder um, because well, I would have to have multiple instances to be able to compare them alike. So when you're working with something, and that's the, the difficult thing for me to, to suddenly adapt a tool, which doesn't work like Photoshop or those tools, because you used to get one screen which you would set in the first place, wouldn't you? Yeah. When you go into something like Figma, uh, you, you end up with a huge blank canvas of which you can endlessly zoom into. Yeah. So you yeah. can churn you can put on that page as many home pages at full size as you want on it so you can easily duplicate and then zoom in and show the client that and compare side by side and move around so what used to seem like i could never get things like figma could you I mean, well I don't know if you played with it but, but i i was actually going to say why did you settle on figma i i've seen it and i've played with it for a, a brief number of moments but i've played with other similar tools more wireframing tools like whimsical where the canvas is infinite in every direction and you just keep zooming and i i find yeah. that that's really that's really great if you get that paradigm but for clients it was like what <laughs> you know what do you mean they've got all these things side by side how does that work um but why did yeah. you settle on figma given the the range of tools out there was it just the first one that came across your radar was it the ui that you like the best well, everybody seemed to have jumped on it. And I yeah. thought, well, I must try and work out what it is. In interestingly, and we've been talking about this before, um, 
I, I, it's probably not what I'm going to settle on. I think, even though I've got used to Figma fairly quickly and used it in the basic terms, I'm probably going to move to Penpop, which is new, just out of beta, and is an open source, really, a version of Figma. And to be honest, I've just tried playing around with it, and at the level I'm at with it, you really, it's it's like the same tool. <laughs> um, so when you say so, it's open source, what, what does that even mean? You can you can download that and put it. You're going to make that put it on a DigitalOcean droplet or something like that, or you're going to download it to your desktop. How how will that work? I don't. Or are you going to use their paid plan, presuming they've got one? They don't. Yeah. It's all entirely free and okay. plans to be free as an open source. So you can use it in the browser there. I don't know how they fund this or will continue to fund it, but presumably because it's using your computer's resources more than it is because of the new technology we yeah. have to work dynamically in the browser. So Penpot you can use th online as you would with Figma, but you can also uh, download it as well and make it your own personal app and put it on a server somewhere right so, so you could have it at you know uh, uh, design.davidwormsley.com or something like that if you really wanted to make your your whole white label experience excellent i get it okay yeah yeah i think this is but it's i just found it quite interesting the whole tools and and the technology is obviously driving what how those tools work and how easy they are and the fact that you can have something which intends to be free for all time as open source that you can use online and the reason for figma is the fact that i didn't i wasn't even aware of it um was the fact that adobe had bought figma um, oh yes oh, yeah for a <laughs> giant amount of money if memory serves. yeah 20 20 billion which i think someone Ooh. told me was um was about 10 years worth of figma's revenue so um they clearly buying the competition to Adobe XD. And the beauty of Figma and why it's become so popular is that unless you need to do some um, collaboration online with other team members, it's pretty much free. You get, you can, you've got, uh, you've got three uh, areas that you can, three areas that you can use for free, but I think you can have endless. So you, you can work on it for the free version and that's intended to be for life. So it must be a serious threat to Adobe. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it's a lot of money, but you're, you're right in that for, well, years now, that word has come up all the time. Um, to the point where it's it, it's become, in my mind, it was always Photoshop that was the word, you know, to, to yeah. create these designs. Nobody's talking about Photoshop anymore. So you do wonder if Adobe are realizing this is the, the way that things are shifting. For, for this, at least, anyway, obviously, if you're into editing photos, probably Figma's not the right <laughs> thing for you. But... Um, yeah, that's fascinating. I, I'm going to have to explore these tools because I really haven't. But given what you've said about the acquisition of Figma by Adobe, I think if I do explore that, I'm going to go straight in on Penpot and make that the thing that I probably, in my case, waste a load of time learning. <laughs> I think one thing that I'm really pleased about is because Figma's new to me. And I was about to get into all the advanced things that you can do, these kind of creating components so you could globally change things and link link your different boards that you've set up so make all these big changes and have these rollover effects all these kind of things to make it more like a um a proper sort of 
page builder experience, if you like, for the client to test out. I never got into all of that stuff. And I'm so pleased I haven't because, of course, that doesn't carry through to move into another tool that's very similar. And, and it seems to me that Adobe XD, Stencil, Figma, Penpot are all essentially the same design in, in terms of UI. Somebody's mastered how to lay these out. So if you move from one to the other, I think, you know, the process is pretty easy. I, I I mean I tried Penpot and it felt like I was in Figma straight away. I yeah. Just use few few little things just maybe trip up, but otherwise everything I'd learned about using Figma just applied to Penpot. I guess I guess are we are we overloading clients here though? I mean obviously if you've got experienced if you've got a enterprise company coming to you and they've got a design team who are really getting into the conversation with you and they understand all these tools and how you're doing it and all of that, that's great. But if you're just, I don't know, some sort of personal fitness guy that's got a little website and, you, you know, he's got 20 clients and he's working locally and he just wants the thing done, is this is all this sort of Figma stuff and Penpot stuff and is that just all overkill? Is it not okay just to say, look, we're going to use templates and you can work with me? I don't know. I, I wonder if we're just putting too many roadblocks in and throwing design tools and make the whole process seem alien to them. Yeah, well, for me, I mean, I'm not, I mean, they don't need to know Figma. They just yeah. have a conversation with me and I show them how, how because I want them to be part of their website. But, you know, you say it's just a personal trainer somewhere. We were just having this discussion about the client that I've got who's, you know, being sold a, a website, which is showing his training business. And, you know, a few moments of talking to this guy, you suddenly realize that he needs to be front and center. Everybody buys him because they like him and what he offers. And he would have been hidden away in this other design agency. We've got to charge him a lot of money. And to be honest, you know, when you have this conversation, it's an ongoing one about how they might want to market themselves. And in some ways to bring them into the design and how we might position things on the web page. So, you know, here's the picture of you here. We could stick it here. What do you think? You know, to find their comfort level and work through stuff. I think having a tool where you could just throw stuff around on a canvas and duplicate it is it, it's a kind of revelation to me for that. Com it's really part of the conversation before you really sit down to building it. Yeah. So it's a real reversal for me. Um, as I say, I felt it was always pointless now as for, for good reasons, you know, to to just jump into the page builder. But now I realize actually to have a better collaboration with people, a very loose one. But yeah, I'm not using it like people do use Figma because yeah. they really go yeah. to town and fully design everything beautifully and make it interactive. And yeah, because your process is, is very much an, an iteration, an agile approach and conversation and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah. Yeah, can, that's it. Yeah, I can well it, imagine that it, that's going to be really useful. Yeah, it's for the conversation. That's why. But yeah, it's but yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Just how we're moving um, forward. And, and there's a new. Uh, this is really touching on what you're saying. You would like everything to be in the browser. We're definitely going that way with this technology. It's moved away from having to buy Photoshop, which only works on your operating system, to something that works online and you can you know, make it your own. You could put it on your desktop regardless yep. of the operating system. Yep. Put it on a Chromebook if yep. you want. <laughs> yeah. My, my uh, complete ideal setup is a yeah. is basically a Chromebook. Um, I don't have a Chromebook. I've never owned a Chromebook. But yeah. if that 
technology was perfected where I could have the the quality of software, which in my case, the Mac affords, or something yeah. approximating it pretty closely, then I I would totally jump at that. I, I really do like the idea of, of the cloud. Of course, that brings its own problems. You know, if you're not connected to the internet, you're kind of doomed. And so where I live in my part of the world, that's a that's fine. It, so far, historically, the internet has been really robust and reliable. But you can imagine the day where the internet goes down and all the all the people who've got desktop apps sort of giggle. Ha <laughs> look at their misplaced faith in the internet. But yeah, that, that would be ideal to me. A Photoshop alternative which worked brilliantly in the browser. For me, like I said, the the impediments are editing audio and video. I do a lot of that at the minute. And really the the tools are not there yet. Maybe they can approximate it. But they can't. They really can't keep up in terms of speed. I use a. I use an app called Logic on the Mac, which is actually built by Apple, and it does a whole load of stuff. I don't know ninety nine percent of what it's capable of, but for what I want it to do, it's just so quick, so snappy. There's no glitchiness or anything. So maybe it'll come. You were talking about Node.js and things like that. Maybe that kind of stuff is on the way. If it comes, and Apple ship Logic in the browser. I'll totally go to that, uh, or somebody else comes up with a version. I get glimpses of it. I can see I can see SaaS apps popping up left, right, and center that attempt it. They're not there yet, but it's coming. Yeah, we. Uh, I mean, I mentioned to you, and I, I wish I could remember the name. But when I was looking into Penpot, I found a video, a YouTube video. And the person who was talking about it was from a video editing background. and. And I looked it up at the time because I thought, wow, I didn't know about this. There was a kind of um, a rival, if you like, to something like Final Cut that is in the browser online, wow. uh, which a lot of people are using. And I thought, and I never really got into it, but I thought maybe it's the same kind of logic where you were mentioning to me, you know, how can you do this? Because some of these, you know, files that you are editing are, you know, numerous gigabytes big. But I assume if it... If this kind of technology is working where you can work in the browser, it only needs to do the work that's editing it. You, you provide the power, if you like, to store and um, use that video. I, I think we're moving to this point where it's becoming indistinguishable, isn't yes. it? Yes. Where... Yeah. So until recently, any app that I've used to edit video, you kind of have to, you have to upload the video file. It yes. then is sitting on their cloud somewhere. Then you interact with it on their ui but it's all a bit yeah. janky and a bit glitchy you know and i mean they work but yeah heralding in the day where the browser has access to local storage so that fo that video file is held on my computer but i interact with it in the browser i don't really understand in all honesty how that technology works but it that that really will be a big shift i just like the idea of this one interface it's just the browser it just feels like that's what the internet should be so yeah the chromebook right i'm gonna i'm gonna move the conversation on because we can't seemingly we can't get through a podcast these days without talking about ai so <laughs> we need to <laughs> yeah. have need to have the ai chat um have you noticed bits of ai sort of creeping into these bits of t these tools that you're using these figmas and pen pots and what have you well um 
I think I haven't yet on that, but um, you mentioned actually to me something that you'd noticed as well, um, that AI just crept into a tool for WordPress, um, Pine Grove. Yeah, that's right. I, I Honestly, this piece of news came landed on my desk like yesterday or the day yeah. before or something. And so I, I can't speak to how well it's implemented, but the... The idea now is that in the Pinegrow UI, you interact, okay, so like ChatGPT, I don't know what they're using, but let's assume it's something like that. You type in what you want to be put on the screen. So, you know, I would like a blue button linking to the home page with the text, I don't know, go home or something like that. And it does it. But you can also instruct it to carry out certain sort of CSS type things. So if you want to let's say, I don't know, divide a row up responsively into uh, four columns, which collapse on mobile to two columns or something along those lines. That you can now do. And you talk to it in, in this in the case of the screenshots that they were showing, you talk to it in, in English. You just write the, write the thing and mm. out it comes. Yeah, this is, this is all very, very compelling, I've got to say. Well, we're ahead on our episodes here, so this will probably be old news. But didn't I see something about plans to introduce AI into the WordPress media library, or is this through a plugin? This no, that that's right. To... But this is on WordPress.com. So on ah, WordPress.com. So yes. if you're paying, obviously WordPress at that point, then you can do this, and essentially you write a prompt, and it gives you four images. But there are commercial rivals that you can do that on uh, .org version, you know, the yeah. WordPress that we normally talk about. Um, you can do that with things like Bertha AI and also Imagine, and there's a whole mm. bunch of other ones as well. Mm. And yes, that's creep creeping into the design process. But I do wonder if you'll be able... Oh, so, okay, so getting back to the Pine Grove thing, they, mm. right at the bottom of the page, and I'll try to link to it, actually, I should probably make a note of that, the there was an endeavor to write a prompt to do the whole page which was fascinating so you you said to the prompt i would i want a home page and it's got to feature this this and this and this and this and it was about i don't know six or seven sentences and it, <laughs> it built the home page david <laughs> i mean mm. wow that's pretty incredible and from there you you obviously iterate and your skills as a as a web developer or designer or whatever it may be, come in at that point. Yeah. See, I'm a little bit cynical about what that, you're more optimistic about what it'll be able to do in the future. At the moment, uh, my experience using, I've been using chat GPT a lot to help me with code, but every time really I've played around with this, it's not that I've told it to give me this because I don't like what it's given me. What it does really, really well is I've started this, what's wrong with it? <laughs> and it and it helps me out. So I find that if you wanted to design a website and it to do all your CSS for you, I don't think it'll ever do it because it will never be able to look at the strategy. So I, I Grid is a perfect example. If you wanted to use Grid, the new great way of laying out your pages, you could do it with such minimal code because you can make a small tweak to one line of code can change the layout of preceding pages. So your home page might be different to all the other ones. It's never, you're really going to have to tell it everything to be able to get what you want. It's going to do it in the most kind of clumsy way. I think it's going to be more bloated than it needs to be. So. I'm never quite convinced that the it it is anything more than an assistant to your 
strategy in the first place and you need to know the stuff. When we, two years from now, have a conversation where we talk about the fact that web design, the web design industry no longer exists because of <laughs> AI, uh, as we wrap up the WP Builds podcast for the final <laughs> time and launch the AI podcast, yeah, then, uh, exactly. then yeah, I, I think, I think you're, um, I think your your confidence in humans is interesting, <laughs> but I think history shows that the the amount that it's come from a standing start to where it is now in less than a decade, I, I have no idea what it will be able to do in a decade. And, you know, it might be able to do all of that grid stuff just by you saying at the very top of the prompt, can we use grid for this, please? And and yes. you know, let's see where we go. Yeah, I, I think all of these tools at the moment are very interesting, um, but they are not replacing anything yet. But I think watch this space. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, the other example with that is just how it might do it. I don't know if it'll ever be up to date with how the spec is changing and where you're planning with something like CSS. But there was a classic one where I, you know, I asked it for, I wanted it. Uh, you know, button to the bottom of the page with, with smooth scrolling, you know, and then it churned out all this really complex JavaScript solution for me. And I said, you know, my next prompt is, yeah, can't we do this with CSS? Uh, yes, here's, a, here's the one line you need. <laughs> <laughs> but you and, see, and, it did it. Um, yeah, but I, I needed to know that you could, yes, you know. But what's interesting, I wonder, though, if the if the chat bot is, is keeping a record of that, that... There's yeah, an alternative yeah. CSS option, which is one line, and it's in some part the algorithm will figure out that less is is better, and yes. so it won't serve up the complicated JavaScript if it could say, "Here's a CSS option, it's one line. Do you want a more comp do you want a, a more complicated, in-depth JavaScript version? If so, click this button, kind of thing." Um, so yeah, I I think by the time I've explained to AI all the nuances of what I'm planning to do <laughs> over this design, it would have been quicker for me just to get on and do it. <laughs> it, it will have given up. <laughs> the prompt will come back, David. Please don't, please don't talk to me anymore. Um, I'm here by severing relations with you. I've logged your account out and do not return. Okay, so I think the the takeaway here is, you know, the the subject was supposed to be designing in the browser is for amateurs. Yeah, I don't know. I want everything to be in the browser, which is great because I'm a complete amateur. Yeah, well, absolutely. And the browser's changing, isn't it? So no, it's no longer the case. There is one other quick thing we could just oh, talk yep. about because we kind of led to it. There is a new what we didn't touch on in things like Figma is now you can kind of export your um, CSS from your graphic designs. And yes. I've seen some other tools around, which I forget. Kevin Powell, who does an excellent YouTube channel on C uh, CSS, was promoting uh, a kind of visual builder, a kind of page builder, but churned out html and the css that goes with it so they potentially this designing in the browser with essentially a graphic tool that then becomes your page builder is a serious threat to things like uh, uh well not necessarily because of the dynamic content but it's certainly a threat to any of the page builders who are serving dynamic sites so you what you design it in a graphical yeah, way, so you you, yes. put, you put elements onto the page and you color them and move them and add padding and what have you, and then you finally say, "Give me the JavaScript, the CSS, and the HTML, and I'll yes. take it from here." So it's not it's not a 
you know you don't click publish you click export Yes, exactly. Huh. It's it's. I I can't remember the name of it. I was I was desperately trying to find. Yeah, it if you do think of that, I'll add it into the show yeah. notes. That would be really cool. Or, or anybody because, who's listening wants to comment what it is, that'd be helpful. Because see, it's heading that way, even with you know the kind of Figma and these tools. You know that that there isn't that distinction because that's what the original was trying to do between the the page builder and the graphical interface. That they're becoming one and the same, you know, so, mm. so you might be right. I think we will be doing more in the browser, but there might be less of a distinction between the tool that builds and the tool that designs. Yeah. I guess in the scenario that you've just painted with the export from there, you really are on your own, aren't you? In that whatever it's exports, you're going to have to work with that. It's not like you can, well, maybe they'll have an export to Elementor or export to, oh, I don't know, Squarespace or what have you. Well, and no, you just take, well, you take these files and you shove them up to something like Netlify in your life. Yes, well, that's true. That's a whole other conversation there. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. but, it, you know, if you wanted to, if you wanted to interact with it and change it, you know, and you want to, I don't know, add in another row in the middle of it. Yeah, you can't sort saying. of do that with the with a page builder that you've got at the moment. But given the popularity of some of these tools, I wonder if they will make those integrations possible well the long and the short of this is give me it all in the browser that's all i want i want everything in the browser amen i think you're going to get it (laughs) (laughs) perfect right next time we haven't discussed but next time we'll we'll probably get on to some other equally controversial subject and uh, oh well there is one on the bottom there i did see that just now yeah we'll go with that why not oh yes that's a good one open source is a liability (gasps) that works both ways i could think i think that'll be interesting let's go with that okay all right nice chat yeah nice bye bye well, I hope that you enjoyed the podcast. Always lovely to chat to David Wormsley. You can see that we really didn't have our beams aligned when we decided on this show title. We both went off in different directions, but the discussion was useful anyway. As always, if you've got any comments, go to wpbuilds.com, search for episode 325 and leave us some commentary there. We'd really appreciate it. The WP Builds podcast is brought to you today by GoDaddy Pro. GoDaddy Pro, the home of managed WordPress hosting that includes free domain, SSL, and 24-7 support. Bundle that with The Hub by GoDaddy Pro to unlock more free benefits to manage multiple sites in one place, invoice clients, and get 30% off new purchases. You can find out more by heading to go.me forward slash WPBuilds. And we sincerely thank GoDaddy Pro for their support of the WPBuilds podcast. Okay, just a quick reminder, we really are being very busy in the next week. Monday, we've got our This Week in WordPress show. Tuesday, we've got the Peachinery UI UX show. Wednesday, we're talking to Mark Westgard about WS Forms, the second in our six-part series. And then Thursday, we'll have the next podcast episode out. So it's a jam-packed week. Head to wpbuilds.com to find out more. That's all I've got for you this week. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you stay safe. I'm going to fade in some cheesy music. Bye-bye for now.